Support for this Guardian podcast comes from Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes creating a professional website for your business, personal brand or portfolio so easy it's newsworthy. Go to squarespace.com and use the offer Guardian to get 10% off. The Guardian. Hello, this is Music Weekly. I'm Alexis Petridis. And I'm Kieran Yates. In the week that Neil Young launched his high-quality Pono audio player, we've come over all audio file and talked valve amps, gold-plated connectors and expensive speakers with Colleen Cosmo-Murphy of Classic Album Sundays. And we have music from The Kooks, Janae Iko and Off in Singles Club. That's all in Music Weekly from The Guardian. Joining us in the pod this week, Michael Han. Hello. Hello, Alexis. Hello, Kieran. Hello. How are you doing? I'm not too bad, thank you. And you? I'm all right, I'm all right. I'm intrigued, talk about news, by the launch of Neil Young's Pono thing. It's made a million quid. I thought A million would... dollars, sorry, on Kickstarter in a day. Mm. I thought it would never happen. He's I, been talking yeah. about it so long. Yes, I thought it was another one of those things. I'm a big Neil Young fan, but I thought it was another one of those things Neil Young goes on about and that never actually happens. Do any of us think this is going to fly? It feels a bit late in the game, mm. doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Really? It does. Well, what's his business model? I don't know. Is he charging people? Is it a download thing? Right, Duncan Bannantyne. What's going on? <laughs> well, that's Michael's the thing. Out. Well, if he's streaming, you know, he, he might get the, the old men who want high-quality audio file stuff. But if it's fundamentally trying to compete with... iTunes. Yeah, then he's... Which is what I think it is. He hasn't got a chance. It it's not streaming, because it's a player, isn't it? It's a 128-gig player. Unless he's building, I am Dragon's Den, unless he is building his business model on a small number of, of high-volume subscribers. But, I mean, clearly there are people who are interested. Otherwise, he wouldn't have made that money on Kickstarter no, in no. a day. Though you do find yourself wondering, does Neil Young really need money from Kickstarter? Well, you never know. I, don't know where I, I think he's wealthier than you or me. Well, probably, yeah. Um, Ken, would you? I mean, would you be interested in in a new kind of iPod that's higher audio quality but bigger? It's quite a lot bigger. Yeah. Well, when I was reading the story, you know, people were talking about it as an alternative to an iPod. You know, mm. it's kind of you know Neil Young's branded iPod. So, I mean, I guess there's definitely a market for that, but I don't. I mean, I don't think I would. No, I also don't see... It ain't broke, Alexis. Well, if it ain't broke, no, true. And also, yeah. I don't see that if, you want, if you've got music on the move, which is what I assume this is for, you really want convenience. You want the smallest player possible. And you'll probably sacrifice, you know what I mean? And also, well, I think also, there's other outlets for high-quality well, music. Well, also, you know, when, actually, you see fewer and fewer iPods on the street these mm. days. People listen to these things on their mobile phones. So unless he's going to tie it with a mobile phone... Which I don't think he as is. As well. Then there you go. I and mean, also, I think he's condemning himself to... These will be famous last words, of course, and it'll be kind of the great digital <laughs> success of the decade. Uh, but it seems to me like he's condemning himself to a tiny niche. Of um, but then again, there are people that fetishise equipment to that extent. You know, there are, but have, it, like, is, it is a tiny niche, people who fetishise equipment. Mm. But, you know, he's been banging on about it so long as if it's going to completely transform the music listening experience. And Absolutely. I, don't, I, I think the, the, the audio wars uh, have been lost. Most yes. people actually do not care that much about sound quality. I think that's absolutely true. And there already exist uh, download sites where you can uh, download stuff in better than CD quality. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're, I think Lynn run one, L-I-N-N. What else has been happening in the news? What's been happening in your world, Karen? If you're, if you're into UK-based gossip, I don't know UK. if you're following this story. I certainly am, and I know Michael is too. <laughs> the story about zombie punching Hudson Mohawk and XOYO in the face three times. Wow. Did you see this what was it, what was it? What was it about? About Givenchy, about who was Givenchy better, and other things, and also what? music-related things. What? Haven't you been following this on Twitter? This is. I, I confess not. Who was Givenchy news. better? Yeah. Ponzi things to have a fist fight about. <laughs> I think there were other things. I think this led to other things, like musical prowess and things. Wow. Yeah, and then zombie. 
punched him in the face. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, base gossip. Um, in other news, have you been following this to <laughs> Michael's? I kind of wish it was on video, this show, just so you could capture my astonishment <laughs> at this story. It's a brilliant thing to have a row about. Who it wears your voice better? It, it, we just started talking about designer clothes. Things escalated very quickly. The next thing I knew, he was pounding you relentlessly. I, 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 oft, I often have rows with other middle-aged men about who wears John Lewis better. <laughs> <laughs> Does it ever kick off? Uh, it it really kicks off. No. Oh, God, when we're when we're in the uh, merino wool sweater department of John Lewis, <laughs> there's carnage in there. Um, the the Love Box lineup was released this week. Who's on? It's it's big. Uh, M I A. M I A. Joey Badass. I hope there was someone better than just M.I.A. and Joey Bass. <laughs> yeah. That's it, just two acts. Two acts, two acts, not bothering with anyone else. It's, it's, it's very boutique this year. Glastonbury yeah. are meant to have Prince, and that's kind of a bigger deal than M.I.A. and Joey Badass. Oh, the well, the maybe not, not in Kieran's world. Yeah, exactly. What's happening with the Prince thing? Is that we've He's gone home, hasn't he? Any, He's yeah. gone home. But he I know, do we know any more details about We don't know any more details. I can tell you officially that Prince has not yet been confirmed for Glastonbury, but, right. you know, frankly, anyone could have told you that, couldn't they? Arcade Fire have. Arcade Fire announced it themselves, yes, and Kasabian, I think, announced it themselves, didn't they? Well, there you go. Mm. Um, I don't think Led Zeppelin will be at Glastonbury, but there is Led Zeppelin news this week. Which um, is? We're recording this before it's been announced, so I'm, I'm not breaking the embargo by saying this. What will be the exciting news for Led Zeppelin fans? It will be the first previously unheard Led Zeppelin studio material since Coda, the outtakes album, came out in 1982. That's right. Then when you go through the small print of the details of their three albums, they've reissued their first three albums, what it turns out to be is four previously unheard songs. Mm-hmm. One called La La, which I can find out nothing about online. Uh, two, which are basically instrumental versions or slightly different versions of songs that got re-recorded under different titles later. And one, um, Keys to the Highway, and, oh, what's it? I can't remember the other song it runs into, but it's a blues cover. So it's not quite as exciting news as a Zeppelin fans may first have hoped. And these are being appended to... Uh, bonus discs are the first three records, yes. Okay. And the rest of the bonus discs are filled up with alternate takes and backing tracks and what have you, as is the fashion. As is the want of, of these kind of things. So I'm sure, uh, you know, they're important band, Led Zeppelin. So they're an important good to band. Hear, you know. Are they going to tour it after them? No, I have no chance of Led Zeppelin touring, I right. would say. No. People, people always say oh no Zeppelin might come back for Glastonbury no they won't you know I I think well we know that Jimmy Page and John Paul Jones would happily get Zeppelin back together in fact they rehearsed other singers after the O2 gig in 2007 they rehearsed Steven Tyler from Aerosmith but it wasn't the same but you know Robert Plant has built his own separate niche you know he has no need to go back to Zeppelin maybe they'd do it if he said Womad (laughs) because <laughs> Robert Plant is a bit of a womad you know what I mean we're not going to play any heavy rock no which is going to be North African uh, yeah blues and psychedelic stuff well there you go let's move on to Singles Club let's begin with Michael's Choice That is uh, hypnotised by off, which is in capitalised with an exclamation mark at the end of it. Off! 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 Um, off! That's terrible if people <laughs> chant their name when they're playing. <laughs> Nine. Off! 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 <laughs> off, for those of you who don't know, are kind of a hardcore supergroup. It's uh, Keith Morris from Circle Jerks and Black Flag, Steve McDonald from Red Cross, and a couple of other guys from 
bands who known to hardcore aficionados, but you know, kind of less of a crossover to sure. to ordinary not mainstream as big as music Cross, fans. No, right. okay, cool. Not as big as Red Cross. <laughs> <laughs> this is from their forthcoming third album or second proper album. There was also a collection of EPs, and it, it's an epic by off standards. It lasts for nearly two minutes twenty seconds. So they're, they're, that's the, they're, they're mining that vein. I mean, this sounds to me very like something off uh, the first Black Flag. That's album. right. Yeah. Uh, what 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 off do is it's classic hardcore. It's not speed core. It's not yeah, vocals. Yeah. It's you know it's protest songs played with angry not at that point before hardcore's really crossed over to metal although i mean you have a hard job saying that there's absolutely no metal in it at all and i thought they're a wildly exciting live band great raconteurs as well i interviewed them a couple of years ago and uh, keith morris with his deeply sarcastic voice cleared an entire uh, stoke newington pub garden of ladies who lunch as you say. Really? and we used to take elephant tranquilizers <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Amazing. But uh, what what I find interesting about Offers Words, first, you know, that this stuff ha- is gaining a following again and getting popular. I mean, they have attention to period detail right down to the Raymond Pettibon covers. Right. You know, Raymond Pettibon, who did the artwork for all the early SST stuff in the yeah. early 80s. But also, they're signed to Vice, Vice's record label. And I've, I've been kind of left at once or twice <coughs> in comment threads for claiming there's a phenomenon called hipster hardcore. But I have seen other people talking about it. And it's, mm. it's undoubtedly true. And the interesting thing is that Off are kind of incorporated into it, despite not having any of the hipster hardcore tropes. And they've got nothing in common with Ice Age, for example, mm. really. Mm. Nothing in common with, I don't know, Trash Talk or some of those other groups. But, but it's a bit like Fucked Up, actually. It's, a, sort of. it's, it's not, well, it doesn't have the progginess. No, 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 no. No, no that fucked up, does it? But um, I, I think they're absolutely bracing. I mean, I, f- I find that in, in excess, obviously, anything like this gets a bit wearing. But, you know, the short, sharp blasts of this. I think absolutely thrilling, not least because, you know, Red Cross and the other bands that these guys have been in all knew how to make tunes. Mm. And so while you wouldn't exactly say they're the most sophisticated melodies ever, there are always hooks in these songs. I I think this is as good as modern hardcore gets. I'm sure the hardcore specialists will disagree with me wildly. It's amazing. I really liked it. Um, I was unaware of their work. I'm not a uh, hipster hardcore uh, character, but I do like Fucked Up a lot. Yeah, Bracing, I mean, it's a long time since I've listened to Damage by Black Flag. But it's sort of like, oh, yeah, actually, it's pretty, pretty good stuff. Legendary band, <laughs> brilliant. Breaking news, Black Flag were quite good. Well done. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Next week, the Ramones, quite influential. Um, Kieran? Yeah, I know of um, Ice Age and Fucked Up because I think what you're talking about, this sort of burgeoning hipster hardcore culture is definitely like filtered through even to my circles. Yeah. So that I, I know sort of um, hardcore fans that are sort of going around clubs around East London being straight edge and not so straight really but straight edge is a thing again yeah I think so well from what I can see firsthand that's what I've noticed and also there's a lot of retro nostalgia for bands like Black Flag yeah, definitely um, and so yeah I mean I keep getting talked into going but I don't know if this is for me when I listened to this I was like oh god maybe it's not for me but maybe I should try it out right it's you see, the interesting thing is that, I, I, to me, after years of listening to this kind of music, this stuff sounds far less abrasive and confrontational than some of the stuff you bring in. Would you go to a gig? Though? Oh, yeah, I've seen it yeah. a couple of times. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. hardcore is you, you kind of imagine they're going to be, oh, it's going to be like, a, well, I did when I was a kid. You thought, mm. oh, they're going to be so dangerous. Mm. Mm. Like other gigs, there's a few people moshing down the front, everyone else standing at the back watching. Yeah, mm. I went to see Fucked Up in Brighton, and it was, uh, it was not 
You know what I mean? I'm sure it was a very different experience if you went to see the Dead Kennedys in in 1980. Gardens, in, yeah, yeah, he got sort of tasered by the police afterwards, and tear gas was released. And everyone got arrested, but um, but no, it wasn't, wasn't like that when uh, Fucked Up played the Concord. Is it quite a young demographic then? Because mixture. when I heard this, I was I was really surprised. So that they were older. Ca- I, well, I've seen them on. De- I saw them once headlining, where it was, it, I've got to say it was a lot of older fans in black flag t-shirts. But I also saw them on a bill, a, what was a hipster hardcore bill, with cerebral ballsy and fucked up, and obviously a lot of kids at that show. Sure. Um, I'm sure if they play birthdays in Dalston. It's a different crowd that turns out, and then if they play, insert a different venue. Yeah, here, you yeah. Know. Um, well, that's good. Um, hypnotized by off. Let's move on. Kieran's choice. Tell me what you say now. Tell me what you say. Come again. If you cannot stay down, then you do not have to pretend like there is no way out. I should have never let you in because you got me face down. Don't take this personal You're the worst You know what you've done to me And although it hurts, I know I just can't keep running away That is The Worst by Janae Iko. Yes Janae Iko. That's Kieran's choice this week. Again, you hope people don't shout out for that at her gigs. <laughs> yeah. After we'll shout off at the <laughs> The worst! <laughs> Wait till we get to the third record as well. <laughs> um, uh, tell us about this. So, Janae Iko is a singer-songwriter who's been around for a while. She's done sort of collaborations with people like Big Sean and been on various soundtracks, movie soundtracks. I think she's on the Barbershop one. But she sort of rose to prominence when she was on Drake's last album as a featured vocalist. Nothing mm-hmm. was the same. Is she I, part of Drake's crew? Well, she said that he's he's her soulmate, and mm. so <laughs> so I don't know. Oh, my soulmate. <laughs> don't know about that. Like a yeah. different soulmate. Anyway, I heard this. Do you have that TuneIn Radio app on your phone? This is really no. this is really good app. Basically, it makes you it, it allows you to stream. Uh, radio and so I, I would okay. listen to like Hot 108 Jams and Hot 97 and stuff so you can stream so you can radio. stream it from around the world yeah exactly anyway and so I was hearing this track on it all the time on like various hip hop radio stations and I couldn't track it down because every time I tried to stop and whatever traffic and whatever mm. anyway uh, and I finally found it um, and it was from an EP that was actually released a while ago but she is doing lots of press at the moment she just did the cover of Complex because she has an album out in May so I was like oh my god this is great it's a good example or a good opportunity to talk about her because I think she's really exciting I think she's got a good voice yeah she's got she's a really engaging kind of voice um, sort sounds of like understated Christina Milian stroke Aaliyah, I thought. Yeah, but I like her. I think it's strong and it's a, it's a nice alternative to those echoing, whispery, yes, sort yes, of, you know, hipsterish R&B that we've I, heard. I've kind of had my... We were talking about this with, with Tim. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I've kind of... I'm full... Tim loves moist R and B. I know, he? but I'm, I'm kind of full of that kind of hipster R and B. I don't want any more helpings of that, and yeah. um, I'm I'm full of the sort of the equivalent which we were talking about last week, which is kind of white indie bands doing kind of. You know, my bloody Valentine meets R and B So I mean, it was great for a bit, but I've just, I've just had enough of it. So yes, you're right. This is refreshing, Michael. I liked it. I like the sultry, kind of sinuous feel of it. It feels very summer nights, uh, not Greece. I mean, well, actually, well, like well, a warm well. evening. Um, but I, I really like the production. You know, a lot of R and B that I hear, I'm not an expert, as you know, but tends to fall between either being wildly minimal or kitchen sink and I think the balance here is just right you know it's stripped back enough that you can hear all the elements of the song really really clearly and you can hear how everything works together I, I thought it was really good so Kieran that, uh, this track is, is out now it's, uh, when um, is it? yeah this is from her EP called Sail Out and the album Sailed Out or Sold Out I don't know which one it is but that's out in May okay um, let's move on this 
It's my choice. the kooks um down by the kooks uh michael i throw well, I, t- I brought this in just because i think it's interesting i think it's a band trying to reinvent themselves in kind of no uncertain terms they're working with an r&b producer, hip-hop producer r&b producer it doesn't really sound anything i wouldn't have reckoned picked it for being the kooks if you you know what i mean if you played it to me and went who's this by michael is it going to work well it's an extraordinary record isn't it i mean it genuinely is an extraordinary record i'm not sure whether it's an extraordinary record for the right reasons i mean it's it's memorable I mean, I wonder if it would be as memorable if you didn't know it was the Kooks. That hook in it is 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 hooky. Uh, the hook in it is hooky, but equally, it, the the kind of diggity diggity bit, mm. it sounds a bit nursery rhymeish, mm. especially coming from Luke Pritchard. I mean, it doesn't sound like a guy who's whether he's working with an R and B producer or not. It doesn't sound like a guy who's immersed in R and B. It sounds like a guy who's gone. Here's some R&B catchphrases. This will be fun. Yeah. Uh, the record, actually, that it's, it's oddly like, um, is Cobra Style, I thought, but done by Robin on her first al- second album and re- before that by um, Teddy Bears, who's kind of Swedish hit, uh, which has that same kind of nursery rhymey mm. use of, of catchphrases. But fair play to the kooks mm. for actually doing this. I mean, I, I thought that they'd long since disappeared from the face they of the planet. They made a third album that I didn't even know had come out. You know, the world has completely... I mean, they were the kind of the epitome of landfill indie, mm-hmm. and, you know, they've realised that there is absolutely no margin continuing to do this, or rather there is, but you're just going to play to 200 less people on every tour. Mm-hmm. And they're just really trying to go for something different. However, my feeling is probably that it's... Not going to appeal to their dedicated fan base, except for the people who say, as as fans of bands who change genre, go. Well, actually, they prove they can do R and B better than Miguel. (laughs) (laughs) But clearly, I don't think it's going to get the R and B fans going for it. Kieran, do you know what? I used to love the Kooks so much. And I went because I had no friends in Freshers' Week, and I went to Brighton to go and see them on my own. Wow. Yes. Wow. (laughs) My solo Kooks mission. (laughs) Amazing. In the inside. In Inside Out era, wow. um, not the okay. Conk era. Right. So I'm not an so idiot. Is Inside Out the first album? That's yes. The, the, she the, moves in her own way. The on. 06 one, yeah, naive right. one. And what I really liked about that was that they were sort of like full catchy songs and there was melodies. And I, did, I was really disappointed with this because I didn't feel like it had that sort of like crescendo or, or, or kind of sing-along quality. Or it didn't even feel like a, a full song, you know? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I don't think I would have been excited to sing along to this if I saw it live in the same way that I was with naive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm intrigued to see if it takes off. I must say, I'm really intrigued. As, as, as Michael said, you know, fair play to them for trying to do something different. I think it's an incredibly difficult thing to do to reinvent yourself in that way. There is nothing less hip to be at the moment than one of those kind of mid-noughties, you know, post-strokes, yeah. post post-libertines kind of indie bands. And, you know, I mean, it got it, Zane Lowe's playing it on Radio 1. I'm intrigued to see if it kind of takes off. Mm. I mean, it would be amazing and remarkable if it did, you know. I also think in that there's nothing worse than feeling inauthentic, and I feel like this does feel a little bit But maybe it's just meant to be like a... Maybe we're trying to judge it 
as an R&B record. Yeah. Rather than the kind of, as, as Michael said, you know, you wouldn't judge a Robin record by the standards of an R&B But even record. against their previous work, I didn't, I didn't think that this really stood up Interesting. Well. Interesting. What? Well, we shall see. Okay. We, we shall see. see. The, the, the charts will be the judge. Okay. Um, that's <laughs> Down by the Kooks, which is out on SoundCloud at the moment. That's all for Singles Club. Let's move on. Since it began in 2010, Classic Album Sundays has become part club part movement and part communal listening experience. It started in London and has rapidly spread across the world with listening nights in Norway, Portugal and the US. I caught up with Colleen Murphy recently and asked about the origins of Classic Album Sundays. It kind of started here in this living room, very informally with friends after Sunday lunch. My husband Adam is a very good cook. Uh, We have a very nice hi-fi we've been putting together over the years. I have a very, very big record collection, having been doing music still too long to say. After dinner, we would come in here and I'd say to somebody, why don't you pick one of your favorite albums, an album that you know really well, uh, something you'd like to hear beginning to end, and maybe you can hear it differently on this system. And my friend James was over. He was, he was kind of inviting himself over quite a few times. He's a bachelor. He loves food and music. He's also friends with a good friend of mine, Greg Wilson, the DJ. Greg had also been thinking about albums and why don't people listen to albums from beginning to end anymore. And he heard about what we were doing and he had been thinking about it and he thought, well, let me start a blog called Living to Music, which he started about nearly three years ago. It was about picking an album of the month and telling people to listen to that album at home beginning to end. But it could be on any format. Yeah, it's right. I won't forget in any case, he was kept telling me about it because he knew I was really into albums. And so the second one, Adam and I sat here and we listened to Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. And I had seen on Greg's blog that there were people that kind of knew that I'd be listening to it at home and knew of my our system. <laughs> and kind of saying, you know, they were really jealous. I had a really great pressing, a great issue of it as well. So I kind of thought uh, it'd be really interesting to make this as an event, to share this experience. And I didn't really think it was going to take off in the way it did. It was really a labor of love, um, hiring a van, my friends on a pub, hauling these clipshorns, valve amplifiers up the Sorry, just to, just to interrupt you, to, for the benefit <laughs> of people who can't see them, the clipshorns are, are two enormous... 1950s speakers? I believe they were designed in the 50s. They were designed in uh, Arkansas. They look like 50s design, and they're still in production today. And they're reverse horn speakers. They're quite big, and they're very, very efficient speakers. So it's one watt is 101 dB. So you can use like 10 watt amplifiers, which we were using before, 15 watt uh, valve amps. So we were using those. We brought this whole system into my friend's function room of his pub. And it started. It just kind of took off really quickly. I think people really appreciated being able to hear an album that they knew or learning about and hearing an album that they didn't know from beginning to end on this kind of a hi-fi that most people can't afford or are not as crazy as we are <laughs> to get. <laughs> Where did your obsession with audio fidelity come from? Well, I, I didn't have that growing up. I, list, I had a, one of those old 1960s uh, record players that folded out of a box with the two speakers that came out from side to side. And then I worked on, you know, school radio stations. So it was not about fidelity at all. It's when I went to David Mancuso's loft party for the first time in 91 or 92. And I went in and there were seven clipshorns. horns. He had Koetsu, Yurushi moving coil cartridges, Mark Levinson amplification. I didn't really know what all of that was at the time. I just knew that 
I had a lot of those records and they didn't sound like that. Let me play devil's advocate for a minute. Sure. Um, all this is gear porn. <laughs> yeah, I thought audio porn, actually. <laughs> um, it, it, the, the argument is that it doesn't really matter what you listen to music on as long as you're listening to the music properly. It's the music that matters. What do you get out of listening to music on a system like this that you don't get out of listening to it on an iPod? Yeah, I mean, I also want to say I do listen to music on my computer, too. So I'm not uh, always sitting in here. I wish I was sitting in here all day, but I have a busy life as well. You can hear things that you wouldn't normally hear uh, on this kind of a system. And it's not just the system, though. It's also the recording, the pressing. It, it goes all the way down the line. If one thing is screwed up, that could really change everything. I mean, for instance, you know, you could have a great album. There's some labels out there that are doing reissues. And it sounds like they're reissuing from MP3s, like not even high resolution digital formats. But they are bragging about their 180 gram vinyl. But it still sounds rotten. So there's a lot of people out there that are trying to wave the flag of hi-fi, but it's not always done that well. So I just want to have that disclaimer. But when it is done properly, it's an immersive, very emotional experience. I mean, at classic album Sundays, I've, including myself, I've seen people cry and because they really feel the music. And that's not to say that we don't, I mean, I feel the, one of the worst acoustic environments to listen to music is a car, mm. but I love listening to music in a car i absolutely love it so it's ultimately it does come down to the music there's really no bad way to listen to music as far as i'm concerned but this is maybe a more immersive way to listen to it maybe you're hearing details that you haven't heard and maybe you can almost feel like you're in the studio with them that's kind of where we want to be so you started it when you started the classic album some days when actually properly not just having people around your house uh, October 2010. And that was in a local pub here? Yes, it's the Hanbury Arms in Islington. And we still do it the first Sunday of them. Basically, the, in the beginning, it's a real kind of lovely Sunday hangout kind of vibe. I make sure the places that we use have food, booze, beer, wine, whatever it is. So people come along, say five o'clock is when we open. And the first two hours, I play music more at a kind of background listening level uh, music that would either inspire or was contemporary to the album. So if it was, for instance, let's say Love Forever Changes, we'd be playing a lot of kind of 60s rock and, and, and things that were kind of happening at the time. Maybe some Burt Bacharach as well, uh, The Birds, because, you know, Arthur Lee was obsessed with them. So that's kind of, this kind of influences inspirations and contemporaries. So people start to get a musical feeling and a musical context, as well as some of the artists' earlier work, I should mention, as well. That goes on for about two hours, and the music's really just the background. People are socializing, hanging out. A lot of people have met each other through this, as well. There's a lot of regulars. And then I, me or whoever is doing the presentation, talks about the album, gives a presentation for about 10, 15 minutes. And then it's phones off, volume up, lights down, no talking, and the album is listened to beginning to end. Uh, with no interruption on an amazing audiophile hi-fi. You've had people who are actually involved in the making of these records mm -hmm. turn up, haven't you? Yes, yes. In fact, this week I am going to New York City and I'm doing three Bowie albums. I'm doing The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and The Spiders from Mars from, with producer Ken Scott. I have Tony Visconti co-presenting Heroes with me. 
and Niall Rogers. And they're bringing in multi-tracks so we can really hear about the recording and also kind of get into the recordings themselves. Like, you know, what was Hansa Studios like in Berlin with that big room and how was it to record vocals in there? So people can start to listen for these details as well as great anecdotes about the artist. I'll be doing something with Joe Boyd about Nick Drake coming up. And all of these producers, I mean, the ones that I've spoken with, I don't want to sound presumptuous, love the whole concept of Classic Album Sundays. You know, these artists and, and, and musicians and these producers and engineers work really hard to get something sounding great. And then when it becomes like an MP3 that's downloaded or ripped off YouTube or whatever, it's, you know, it's still, you know, you can still learn about music that way. It's like what we used to do when I was young with mixtapes. And then you wouldn't go out and buy the album if you liked it, you know? So I'm not saying there's no use for it. But it, sonically, it shouldn't be the ultimate experience. You talk about going to New York. I mean, you do these sort of things globally now, yeah. right? Yeah, I do them globally. Um, we have a team of people all around the world, like-minded spirits. Well, sorry, when you say all around the world, like what, what kind of places? So we have regular listening sessions in London, obviously, New York, Boston, Glasgow, Edinburgh, Oslo, Tokyo. And we're starting up... In a lot of other cities like Manchester, Brighton, Austin, Texas, Los Angeles, the northern seaboard of the states. And these are all people kind of getting in touch and we start to, to work the whole thing out and getting systems together so that we can do it. And I, I, I think also having been a DJ for a long time and traveling internationally through DJing and I know a lot of different people in music. So there's kind of, I have teams of people kind of all around the world who I've known for a long time who are just as passionate about music as I am. Is there a cut-off point? Um, you talk about, you know, we were talking earlier before we started doing the interview about things being recorded to tape, about things being recorded analog. Is there a cut-off point where if things have been recorded digitally, if things have been recorded using Pro Tools, if they've been recorded on a computer, this process is slightly negated? It's interesting because we have done a lot of albums from the 90s. I can hear the difference myself. It might not sonically sound as good to me, but it's still great music. I wouldn't say it's negated because it's still sounding better than it would on a regular system. And I still try to find the best pressing. But yes, a lot of this, a lot of stuff from like late 80s onward was recorded digitally. Not all of it, but a lot of it was. And especially dance music, because I know I'm really into dance music. So of course I'm playing stuff like, well, the Chemical Brothers, Monica Records came in and curated a session, the Chemical Brothers, Exit Planet Dust. And it was really, <laughs> it was quite intriguing to see a room full of people sitting and listening <laughs> quietly to it, because I thought that was quite an experiment. I really had no idea what was going to go on, you know, it was quite funny. But they're all, these were people that were very passionate about dance music anyways. And I guess, and I listened to House 20 years ago, Mr. Fingers, I'd listen to Mr. Fingers albums beginning to end all the time at home. But going back to the to the, the digital side, I can personally hear it. To me, it's not going to sound as great as maybe something that was recorded a bit earlier and recorded properly, but it still sounds great. I wouldn't really talk about that and start to slay the artist. I mean, that's just the way things were done at that point in time. And it's interesting because I do think there's more people maybe trying to record two tape. Even the, the studio that I go to for mastering for my label, now they have a, a whole studio, a whole recording studio with a few tape, tape machines in there, like a two inch reel and you know. So it's like, it's interesting, it's kind of coming back. This strikes me as the kind of thing that people might assume attracts 
99% men. Is that is that true or is it a gender mix? It's a gender mix. I actually had a grad student come in, polling people as they came along in. And it was about 50 to 50 male, female. The largest demographic was 20 to 29, followed closely by 30 to 39, and then kind of going up the scale. And that was for the one he came in for, I believe, was uh, Sergeant Pepper, which is quite interesting. Such an old album. The thing that's kind of cool about... Classic Album Sundays, which I'm really proud of, is it's not elitist, even on the hi-fi side. I mean, it's not like I'm getting a, a whole bunch of audio files coming in because they already have great systems at home anyways. <laughs> there are some enthusiasts. Uh, and I think maybe being a woman, I remember feeling this way when I started DJing you know, decades ago. Uh, maybe females feel a little bit more comfortable because it doesn't feel like a boys club. I get, you know, girls coming up and asking about the sound system. Really? Which is really interesting. I, I mean, I don't mean to. I'm, I'm no. not being in any way sexist. I'm being, I'm being sort of derogatory towards men because this is the kind of nerdy <laughs> bullshit that men love and that women have more important things to deal with. No, I've got a whole group of women uh, recently coming up and asking about the system. It, it, I would say more men come along and ask about the system, to be honest. But they're also asking me as an expert. They're asking for advice, which is quite interesting. And a lot of them love that, you know. I think for them it's quite fun. And then also, if you think about the age brackets, I mean, people that are 20 to 29 may not have ever listened to a whole album on vinyl, uh, especially on a system like this. And a lot of them may not have heard some of these seminal albums that some of their uh, bands that they like are referencing, whether it's, you know, Panda Bear referencing the Beach Boys. I remember I did Pet Sounds as my first one at festival on a Friday morning at 12 noon. And I was on the edge of the festival. I was saying to Robbie, I'm like, I can't believe this. I, why did I do this? I mean, it's so, I mean, it's, a, from 19, it's, it's an old album. It's from the 60s. And, you know, this is a younger festival. And uh, I'm way on the outskirts. No one's going to be here. And it was rammed. It was rammed. And it was the first session ever at festival. It's not like people knew where to find me. They made an effort. And it was a Friday. And I think because, you know, bands like Animal Collective and, you know, other bands were referencing Pet Sounds quite openly. And they thought, I need to know this. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's like reading the classics, you know, so it's a similar thing. That's Colleen Cosmo Murphy from Classic Album Sundays. That's it for this week. My thanks to Michael Han for joining us. More on all this at theguardian.com forward slash music. Uh, Kieran and I will see you next week. Take care. Bye. Support for this Guardian podcast comes from Squarespace, providing creative tools that help you bring your ideas to life. Squarespace offers free domain names, customizable designs, drag and drop tools, and 24-7 support. Squarespace also offers seamless e-commerce solutions for you or your small business. Every design automatically includes a unique mobile experience that matches the overall style of your website, so your content will look brilliant on any device. Start your free trial today. No credit card required. As a Guardian podcast listener, you'll get 10% off your new account by using the offer code GUARDIAN.